thanks, Andy. That was awesome. Guys, thanks for being here today. And it's kind of this is really a big privilege for me to hear today because I've got people that have been involved in my life for the last 30 years that are here. I've got uh, former members of my SWAT team. Thanks, Tom, for showing up. I've got a real special guy here. Uh, I've got to make sure that I announce him, David Callen. We're going to talk about Michael a little bit later, but Michael worked for me in August 2nd of 2006 when he was killed in the line of duty. And uh, I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their family's testimony to me. They never said a thing. But what they did as I watched them go through some of the most terrible adversity in their life, they always kept the focus on God. Our job and our responsibility is to be that light for others. Little did I know that 10 years later that I would be thinking about this family. How in the world did they get through such a tough situation? And today you're going to hear a little bit of my story as well. Guys, we're going to talk about stress. And if anybody in here doesn't have stress in their life, you guys can go ahead and leave right now. <laughs> but uh, during some of my research, I, I definitely wanted to share this, this kind of opening here. Uh, the book called Margin describes society in which we live in as trouble. We have more questions than answers, more problems than solutions. Few know where we're headed, but universally we acknowledge we're headed there at breakneck speed. Over 30 million men in America described themselves as stressed out. The average desk worker in America has 36 hours of work on his desk and spends three hours shuffling through that crap. The average middle manager is interrupted 73 times a day. Amen. I know that. That's part of our job. On average, we spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail and two years of our lives trying to call people who are not even in. We spend one year of our life searching for misplaced items. And when the average of the misplaced items is within 10 inches of where we're looking. If you think we're not stressed, you got another story coming there. We carry stress around like a badge of honor, and I'm guilty of this, just like everybody else. It's especially true among business leaders and community leaders where we think that being overbooked is being important. And again, guilty as charged. Not all stress is bad, guys. You stress is good stress. Stress that we set goals and we set objectives and there's things that we can make ourselves better in our lives and that's great stress. You know, I just turned 51 actually a few days ago. Last year I turned 50 and one of my goals when I turned 50 <clears throat> personally was just to compete back in jiu-jitsu was to get myself back in shape, uh, feel like I was good about myself, feel healthy, feel strong. And also, uh, as I own a, a martial arts school, just kind of set the example and lead for some of the other guys to get in there. On my training camp, I want to tell you it was hard, it was difficult, it was stressful on my body. And we universally accept when we want to work out and get in shape and do these kind of things, we understand that our body breaks down before it builds back up. But sometimes we just don't understand when we're going through tremendous adversity and tragedy that that's what God's doing in our lives. 
And we need to think about things in that perspective. <clears throat> so guys, I get an opportunity to uh, talk to you about stress here. And this is the little academic portion, and we're kind of going to really go through that. But when stress gets to a point that we really need to pay attention to it, it's called distress. That's when it's bad. That's when we need to focus. That's when we pick up, need to pick up the cues. And that's when, as men of God and as brothers and sisters and as friends, we need to recognize when a friend is hurting. I've got a bunch of different slides here, and what we're going to do is we're just going to go through that real quickly. But there's different kinds of symptoms. They could be cognitive, your intellectual process, emotional distress. You can be in a depressive state, losing your appetite, energy, decreased sleep, your libido, behavioral distress, taking risks that you shouldn't be taking. Alcohol and substance abuse is a big one that we see in our society. And flat-out physical distress heart attacks, heart problems, headaches, muscle spasms, all these kind of things go along. The easiest way I have to really talk to you about that is really share my story with you. So you're going to look at some of these things. I put some asterisks by things that I think are key in here. If you're trying to take note of yourself and evaluate or maybe somebody else. Guys, this time of year, let's face it, it's October. We're getting into the holiday seasons, aren't we? I don't know about you guys, but the holiday seasons around my house as I was growing up were just exciting. We didn't have much money. We really had hardly any money whatsoever. But my mom loves Christmas. The Christmas tree would be up before Thanksgiving until my dad finally said, enough. As soon as Thanksgiving dinner is over, the Christmas tree can go up. That's how excited she was about it. And I... I kind of, I think I, I developed that from her. I was excited about it. I remember when my kids were young, I loved Christmas. I was, uh, I was a young dad uh, when I had my first two children. I didn't have much money, but it was always exciting around Christmas time, right? To see the excitement in the kids' eyes, to put the lights up on the trees, um, to put the uh, lights up on the house. And that's one thing that I used to do is that as my kids were little, I would put string the lights up around the house. To be honest with you, I'll tell you a secret. I've probably got a little bit of a Clark Griswold in me, you know. It's not that bad. Everybody else, yes? Anybody else in here? It's not that bad, but I, I actually enjoy doing it. So even when I was younger, after Christmas was done, I'd go buy another string of lights. And my, our house was one of the coolest houses on the streets. I had the white lights trimming all the way around every single window. I had them all the way across the shrubbery up in front. I had our nativity scene. I had our snowman. I had our little reindeer that popped in and around. I had all of that because you know what? It was so cool when my kid come outside to see that. You want to see the light in the eye and the sparkle in their eye when they do that. Well, guys, on October 3rd, 2012, my son died in my arms. I've got seven boxes of lights that are sitting in my attic and I haven't taken them out to this day. I'm going to go back and tell you our story. My wife and I were a blended family. I had already had two children. 
she had had one. And we found ourselves later in life, I was in my 40s and she was in her 30s. I was very smart, I married younger and much, much out of my league. No doubt about that. I was actually excited. I was excited because I loved being a dad. I loved coaching my kid. I coached my son for 12 years in soccer. I loved taking him to karate tournaments all over the state of Florida. We had call signs. We had, we had all this cool stuff that we enjoyed doing. I loved being a dad to my daughter. She was awesome. She likes to get up in front of people. She likes to speak. She likes to sing. She likes to do all these kind of cool things. And for me, 23 years later, I'm having another small child when my other kids are growing up. I thought it was pretty cool. I was going to get to do all that over again. And I knew I was within a few years of opening my school and my dojo. And I just dreamed of having my son in there with me. So we had our child, and he was fairly healthy. As you can see in here, I'm a little bit biased. I think he's a gorgeous little boy right there. And you notice I had already decorated him with his MMA outfit right off the bat with his sister. And we were ready to go. And everything seemed fine. He had a little problem with his feet right off the bat, and it didn't really seem like much. And he seemed to be normal. But about six or seven months into this, he almost began to crawl. He almost began to speak. He was laughing. He was, he was joking around. He was doing all the cool things that little kids should do. And he started to sit up. And when I'd put him in a place, he'd sit up and he'd stay there. And a couple of weeks later, he'd fall. And he wouldn't try to stop himself. I kind of noticed that. I'm like, man, something is wrong. This just isn't right. We took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, you haven't done this in 23 years. He's fine. He hasn't missed any major milestones. Take him back home, and, he could, and he's just fine. A few months go by, and my son can no longer sit up. I'm picking him up, and I'm throwing him around like all good dads do, right? And moms yell at us, don't throw him so high. Like, come on, I got to toughen him up. And as I bring him back down, I notice a nystagmus in his eye. His eye is jerking. So I take him to the doctor, and we're just like, Doc, I see a nystagmus. And I guarantee you, I know what this doctor's thinking. You're a cop. You don't know what this medical term is. But what he didn't know is that I ran the DUI unit for five years. The way that we assess and evaluate DUI people is by looking at their eyes and noticing an astagmus in their eyes. It's actually the one probably medical training that we do have. And I also knew this. That's a neurological function. Absent having alcohol or drugs in your body, there's some kind of neurological issue, which actually is scary enough. So the doctor agreed with us that it was time to take a look at what was going on with our son. And we began weeks and months of visiting different doctors to find out what was going on, um, all to no avail. Having a position that I had, having the years of experience I had, I was able to go to every single one of his uh, doctor's visit, which I really felt was important to me. And then one day we had an eye doctor visit because we knew it was his eyes. This particular day I could not make the doctor's visit. But that particular day would change our lives forever. See, we walked into the doctor's office, or my wife did, 
And you got to understand something about my wife is that she was 14 years with the sheriff's office, several years as a detective. One of the things that we do as police officers is we read body language for a living. The doctor looked at my wife's, or I'm sorry, at my son's eyes, and he was a neurological ophthalmologist, not just an ordinary eye doctor. And his entire body mannerisms changed. He knew something was wrong. He took her back into the office and he said, look, what I see is going to give you your diagnosis, but I can't diagnose you until you have a blood test. She says, well, is it bad? He clearly didn't want to tell her. He told her, I see cherry red spots in your son's eyes. It's a telltale sign of Tay-Sachs disease. For those of you that don't know, Tay-Sachs disease, Sandoff's disease, GM1, GM2, and Canavan's disease is a rare neurological order where the simplest way to explain it to you is that our bodies produced waste, and so does our brain. But my son didn't produce that enzyme to eliminate the waste in his brain. Because he couldn't produce that enzyme, he slowly died for the next two and a half years. My wife got in the car. She started to cry. She called me up. She said, this is what he said. I knew something was wrong. So I do what any other good dad would do, right? I Google that stuff. That was a bad mistake. Every one of those diseases would be worse than the next. With everyone having the same outcome, your son's going to die. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Guys, I do what guys do. I do what I've been trained to do on the SWAT team. I do what I've been trained to do as a high-risk incident commander. It was time to take charge. It was time to take action. There was no way in the world that my son was going to die. We started researching and doing everything that we could. We found doctors and neurologists all over the world. We found an organization called the National Tay-Sachs and Allies Disease. In three weeks from our diagnosis, they actually had a family conference, a medical conference in Tampa Bay. Three world-renowned neurologists were at this conference and geneticists. And when we were on our way there to solve this, just like I'd solved any other situation I've been in in my life. We also contacted Dr. Kurtz, Dr. Nuremberg in Duke University because we thought at that particular time some kids had had a bone marrow transplant. We're going to go here, we're going to fix this, and then we're going to go travel to North Carolina. You see, we, have a, we get problems, and we think action is our solution. We don't realize right off the bat that God's our solution. Guys, the day we went to the conference, i got to tell you, our son looked like this. He was happy. He was smiling. Those little things that had occurred, but he was a normal little boy in my eyes. My wife and I walked in in Tampa, to this conference where probably 75 to 100 families were. As I walked in the register, I'm walking up to the conference, I'm bringing my son, and all these ladies started coming over and greeting us and hugging us. And they were bringing their kids. And I didn't want my kid to look like that kid. They were clearly dying. They had oxygen tanks and suction tubes and things coming out of their body every way you can imagine. 
and my kid's normal. So I thought. I wanted to pick up and just take off and run out of that building, but we didn't. Because my goal was to get with the doctors, find out what this cure is going to be, because I have never failed in anything before. Well, guys, as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, my wife and I had to go through the grieving process. We had to understand that everyone's grief is different. My wife and I grieved totally differently. And we had to quickly understand that. My wife's an introvert. If she's in a party, she's going to be on the side alone with one lady that she wants to talk to all night long. I just assume walk around and shake everybody's hand and get to know you guys. I also didn't want anybody to see my emotions. We live about a mile down the road from here. So every day I would take off and run at least five miles a day, if not more. That was my opportunity to be alone. That was my opportunity to cry. That was my opportunity to wrestle and struggle with God, to be honest with you. I said and I did some things that I'm not proud of. But I can tell you this. It was as raw and as honest and as open as I've ever been. Till finally one day I had to realize I can't solve this alone. Guys, I've been a Christian by namesake for, since I was 16 years old, but I truly wasn't living it and I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I knew that. I had ruined a marriage because of that. The only thing that really mattered to me was my, my job and my kids. I'm up here today to confess that to you. But during this situation, my life was changed. My wife began blogging. She began telling our story to the entire world. I'm like, are you crazy? What are you doing? Our blog has had over 70,000 hits. Our story and our son's story will live at least as long as my life. I've had people come up to me time and time again, fathers, family members, and said, because of your story, I'm a better dad. Because of your story, I'm a better husband. Because of your story, I understand maybe how to deal with people in grief and what to do. It was a valuable lesson for us. The next thing is that whenever we're going through tremendous adversity, grief exposes our faith. There is absolutely no doubt about it. You know, one great irony in life is that whether you think you're a religious person or not, grief, severe grief and severe pain shows where your faith is. And your faith is just where you put your trust when things really, really go bad. And that's what faith is. Something else I learned, guys, is that your faith must be tested. It can only be your intimate possession when you've gone through that test. 
Guys, we had to learn how to grieve well. I love this picture of my son. One of the rare pictures where he's almost smiling. We've got the cross behind him. I think for me that shows his spirit. That's why I love that, that picture right there. Guys, we're all created to connect to one another and design for intimacy. Not just with our wives, but just with other men. If I can tell you one main thing that any professional probably will tell you is to learn to grave well. The best antidote to stress and to grief is to stay connected. That's what Ironman's about. If you're going through troubles, if you're going through hardships, which nobody walked out earlier, so I think everybody's got some stress in this room, your best antidote is to stay connected with one another, to support each other, to lift each other up, to be that sounding board that you can reach out to, that you can trust, and you know that somebody's not going to share your secrets. Expect confusion. Guys, I thought I had this in control. I was a high-risk incident commander. I also was running Central Florida Intelligence Exchange. I probably have an apology to make to you guys because I was responsible for nine counties and Homeland Security protection for you guys in here. I remember going to a meeting down at operations one day. I don't remember what the meeting was about. But I remember coming outside of the operations, and you guys probably see it because it's on Channel 9 News every single day or any other news station down at the Orange County Sheriff's Office. And I stood outside. And I stood at the front of the door. And some officers came up, deputies came up to me and said, hey, Captain, how you doing? I'm like, good, good, good. Hey, Captain, what's going on? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I probably stood there for about 20 minutes. And I stood there for 20 minutes because I had no idea where my vehicle was. None. Couldn't find it. From that day forward, I parked in the same spot whenever I went down there. One thing we all share is the illusion that we have control of what's going on. To stand in uniform like this in front of a building as deputies and officers came by you, who I think respected you and everything else, and say, I don't know where my car is. Scared the mess out of me. I would go to work early in the morning. And in this particular job, the last, at least the last job I had that I was over there, I would probably field 250 to 300 emails a day. This was a massive job of Homeland Security. My wife would call me several times through the day, and about 3.30 she would always call me to make sure I was wrapping up. Because she knew, as a manager, it takes 30 to 45 minutes to get out the door once you say, I'm leaving. That's no lie. And she called me at 3.30. And I know she felt like you're a parent asking your kid, what did you do today? I said, I don't know. I had phone calls and conversations. I sent emails to our organizations, 
to the FBI, Department of Homeland Security. 3.30 in the afternoon, I had no idea what I'd done all day long. Attempting to outlast the pain of grief or what you're going through, guys, is an exercise in futility. I tried to hide and mask everything that I could. One of my ways that I justified that is that I didn't want my wife going through any more than she had to go through. One day we're sitting right across the street at the ice cream shop, which I guess now is gone. As we're sitting there, we'd walk our child down and he was in a, in a cart, he couldn't walk, obviously, you guys know that. We'd, we'd stroll him down there and we'd have an ice cream. Uh, every afternoon I was home, right after work, and we stayed home all night. We tried to do normal family things. And as we're having an ice cream, I grabbed my chest. My wife said, what's the matter? I said, oh, nothing. See, my heart was pounding, and it was beating, and it was skipping, and it was jumping, and it was just turning around. It was just doing all this kind of weird stuff, and I'd never really felt it before, but I didn't want to scare my wife. I figured it'd go away, so I went home, and it was still, and my wife said, something's going on. I said, no, it's not. Yeah, everything's fine. I went to bed that night, and my heart was still doing the same thing. I really wasn't sure if I was going to wake up in the morning. Actually, I didn't sleep all night long. I got up in the morning, took off to my doctor's office, and I called my doctor. I said, look, doc, this is what's going on, and it hasn't stopped. The nurse answered the phone, and she said, look, come on in this afternoon. We'll check you out. No big deal. I said, hey, great. It's no big deal. I'm going to go to work. Well, I guess when a nurse told the doctor, the doctor said, he needs to get in here right now. He, his heart's an AFib. And it was. Unfortunately, trying to hide this from my wife, my doctor immediately said, call his home right now and get him here. So the doctor called home, and my wife answered the phone. That wasn't a good plan. <laughs> and I usually make good plans. Guys, grief trigger, triggers an emotional avalanche that can sweep us off our feet and at different times. In 2006, Dave Callen's son, Michael, was intentionally hit and killed in the line of duty at the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Watching this family go through the tremendous adversity with, with dignity, with pride, with grace, with putting God first was an amazing example in my life. I got the ride lead and point as a motorman on Dave's procession, which I think was about five and a half miles long over 100 motorcycles. See guys, one thing that you gotta understand as motor cops, and I know that when you run into a motor cop on a street, it's not the most fun, because you're probably gonna get a ticket. But one of the things motor cops do is they get an opportunity to honor our fallen officers. And they take a lot of pride in that. They take hours and hours to clean that bike, to shine their shoes, to get their uniform all ready. And I was a motor cop, and I enjoyed doing that. When my son died, we had his funeral a couple days later. Gary Hagen, the corporal in the motors unit, had called me up and said, Dave, we want, you know, we want, to, we want to honor your son, and we want to give you a couple motorcycles. 
I said, Jerry, I don't, I don't want you stopping traffic or stopping lights. I don't want my son's name to ever be somebody say it's negative. He goes, the guys have to do this. They have to do this. And I said, look, just two motorcycles. That's fine. The day of his funeral, I was doing okay. You know, that's a term that we use when people are asking us. They really don't want to know. How are you doing? I'm okay, bud. I'm okay. But I was. I was doing okay. My family was in town. Everybody was there. I was kind of holding it together, to be honest with you. Until I heard that noise. About 50 Harley-Davidson motorcycles coming down the road to pick up my son. I knew what that meant. It gives me chills on my arms right now. Tears me up. Thinking about the honor and respect that they showed me. Guys, what has God called me to reveal to you? And I don't know how we're doing on time, David. That tears are not a sign of weakness. I can stand up here in uniform. I feel like I've earned things and reputation that I've done in my past, but I'm not afraid to let you know there's a time to cry. You know, I live my life, it's been told by our pastor up at Real Life, we've heard this before. You live your life as it's a, front, a big windshield in the front. I'm moving forward, I can see those things going, but we have a rear view mirror. So that occasionally we need to reflect on what's behind us and remember. A couple of weeks ago I was at my chiropractor's office and I got there early so I was sitting in the car and I was actually going over this presentation. I was remembering my stuff. And I looked over to my rearview mirror to the right, my outside mirror, because uh, something had caught my attention in the back. It doesn't really matter what it is. And I kind of noticed really what it said, the warning. The objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. See, my son is closer to my heart than he's ever been. Guys talk is cheap. Follow up with those that you know and those that you know that are struggling. We all say, hey, man, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to look out for you. And if we don't follow up, we're really just lying. Just don't say it. Loss changes us. It's unavoidable and it's inevitable. That day, that situation, that part of our life will ever, forever be ingrained in who I am and who I've become. I'm going to tell you this as well. The past can become a source of hope for the future. Dealing with adversity and tremendous grief equips us better to deal with other families. As you guys know, in 2013, I took over the Windermere Police Department. Yet again, on March 22, 2014, I was awoke at 3.59 in the morning to be told that one of my officers was shot in the head. As I went down to the hospital, we took care of everything that needed to be taken care of. I knew what it was like to run a big funeral 
for a police officer in Central Florida. And we were a 12-man police agency. As the days came into the nights, I probably worked, I don't know, 36 hours straight, maybe, trying to honor the family and honor the fallen, our fallen officer. But I remember about three days in, the day before the funeral, as we're getting the operations planning and everything done, I'm driving back into the town, the town of Windermere, who, by the way, had every single mailbox, every single light fixture, every single house was adorned with blue ribbons. What an amazing show of respect. As I'm driving back to town, I think it was around midnight, my deputy chief was in the car right next to me. And we're having a private conversation. We both came from the sheriff's office. We both chose uh, to come to a small police department. And there's a whole other story I get to tell about rebuilding, rebranding the agency. Uh, this is not the time for that. And she asked me this important question. She said, I got to ask you this. She said, are you glad you took this job? And without a hesitation, I said, absolutely. I know my calling. I know exactly why I'm here. To get this agency and to get this family through this tragedy. I've been there. I know what it feels like. I've seen it in my brother's and sister's eyes. I've felt it in every depth of my body. And it was time for me to share my experiences with others. This is a picture of Robbie German. We have since created a nonprofit foundation called the Windermere Police Department Foundation in honor of him. And in under three years, we've raised $120,000 and have given back $65,000 to the community in Central Florida to honor his name and his reputation and what he's done. We just put $40,000 into an investment account so that in another four more years that we will be able to offer scholarships for officers trying to go through the academy that felt the same passion and desire that this officer had. What can, what can never be lost? God's unshakable love for us and understanding tremendous grief makes me appreciate what God's gift Guys, what can be found, and i got to tell you, this is just mine, a renewed relationship with our God, a totally new understanding of what your purpose is in your life. As far as my family and my wife, one person's weakness is the other person's strength. This is the essence of two becoming one. And Genesis chapter, chapter 2 sets the foundation of what our marriages should be like. I didn't even know that before but now I do. I spent my life through SWAT understanding that there's always a plan B, always a second option. Earlier in my life, I thought that would be okay for my marriage too. But I realize now that there is no plan B in your marriage. That's not what God's intention is. I discovered the will to be faithful. In Joshua 24, 15. Choose yourself this day who you will choose. Guys, and as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord.
possibly forward running. Guys, I talked about the team concept. This is some wisdom that I've gained early on. A lot of you have been in the military. A lot of you have been in maybe some police special teams. But if not, we've all been a part of an organization, a part of a group, part of a competition team. And we know that that brotherhood and that camaraderie that is together, that brings us together, is what's important. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome this world. Guys, I think we see, look all the way around us and we see trouble everywhere we got. Just like I planned for a search warrant on a SWAT or a hostage situation or a barricaded gunman, I spent my life training and preparing for those situations. And in this world, you will have trouble. If we prepare for those situations by making sure that we have a personal relationship with our God, that we are studying the world every single day, that we know where we stand and where our faith is and where we're committed to, we are going to have trouble. But our disappointments are going to determine our destiny. And we are going to get through that situation better for it. God, if God is in control, it absolutely means that we're not. And for a guy like me, that's hard to give up. As I heard a pastor a couple years ago, and this wasn't really part of my presentation, but I wanted to share it. If you've ever read, written the book, or read the book, Messy Grace by Pastor Caleb, he was so, so strong in the things that he said that I've written these down every single month on my calendar. And I think it's been almost two years. So some of my Thursday morning group remember him? Was it two years ago, I think, that he preached? And I try to live my life this way. And it's given me peace and comfort. Because the antithesis to our super stress is a fruit, the fruits of the Spirit, and that's where we want to be. Be known for what you are for, not against. You can go on Facebook every single day and see what everybody in the world is against. I don't engage in that kind of rhetoric. Guys, your theological convictions shouldn't be a catalyst to treat other people badly. God, even Gandhi said, I like your Christ. Your Christians, not so much. Or sometimes we are our worst enemy, aren't we? Embrace the difference between acceptance and approval. And I didn't approve of my son dying. But I had to accept that. And I had to accept that God was in control. And eventually whether his plan was revealed or not, if I allowed it to, it would change and affect my life and the lives of other people that are around me. And the last thing, God never called you to fix people. Boy, do we try to do that all the time? He just called you to make a difference in their lives and to point them towards him. Guys, I'm not a preacher. I don't have a degree. I don't have anything else. 
But I do have a personal relationship with God. And that is in my heart. It's in my spirit. Anytime I get an opportunity to share that, I will. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God calls all things to work together for good for those that love him according to his will, right? If you're going through some tremendous adversity, let me tell you what, sometimes this is not the first to point out right away. In God's perfect economy, nothing goes to waste. Not even pain and suffering. In the beginning, the thought of something good coming out of my situation was insulting. I had to realize that I had the choice to make my, my life bitter or better because we, of what we've gone through. I can tell you this. I miss my son. I miss him a lot. But I believe with everything that I have that my son is not in my past. He's in my future. And I have hope. Guys, I don't know what each one of you are going here through here today, but I know there's stress in a lot of your lives. I do know a few of your circumstances and situations. And I know that we got people in this room that are going through some tremendous adversity right now. I know that this year you're living a night that's a new normal for you because it's the first Thanksgiving without your loved one. It's the first Christmas that you won't have them with you. There'll be a first birthday, a first year, a first event. There'll be a first everything. And this will be your new normal. Stay connected with other men. If you're new here and you haven't been a member, please come and join us. We also do a weekly, and I'm sure Dave will talk about that later, uh, down at Four Rivers. I have my men's group back here from real life and, and one straggler that we meet on Thursday mornings up in Panera. Again, guys, if you want to join us up there, guys, you're welcome to every Thursday morning at 6.30 in the morning. Meet these guys here every Friday morning at 7 o'clock. I don't meet them because I want to look cool. I don't want to meet them because I need accolades. I meet them. I'm there. I'm learning because I need it. I've been a member of Ironman here for over two years. About three years ago in my life, my wife and I sincerely and honestly prayed every single night. We prayed for men to come into my life and women to come into her life. That would make her stronger, would make her bolder, would make us both Stronger in our marriage, stronger in our faith. And Ironman's one of those answers. And so are you guys on Thursday morning. If Guys, if you're not connected, you need to get connected. I want to thank you guys for each and every one of you and what you do. For my law enforcement guys that are in the room, thank you for your service and what you do and putting your lives on the line every single day, our firemen. Our military guys that are in the room and retired military guys, thank you for what you do and what you put on the line each and every single day. I hope that my story makes you a better father. 
I hope it makes you a better husband. I hope it makes you just think about what you're going through in your life. And if you had any questions, where that answer would be. Guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. I really appreciate it. Thank you.